Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Let us now give our attention to the reading and to the hearing of God's holy and inspired word. And Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, and neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do give thee thanks this morning for thy word, for it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask, O Lord, that as we open the scriptures, as we hear your word preached, we ask that you would give us hearts that would receive it well, that you would give us hearts that would digest the scriptures, that would meditate upon it. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There are many things in life that cause us to be persistent. One thing I have always appreciated my wife, and I have to tell a story on her, that when she puts her mind to something, she doesn't, she doesn't give up until she solved the problem. She is persistent. We are persistent often in our duties and in the responsibilities that God gives to us. But the question comes this morning, when we are persistent in life, are we that persistent when it comes to our spiritual lives? I think there's a tendency for us as believers to be not as persistent when it comes to the things of the kingdom of God. But here in our parable before us this morning, Jesus has been making his journey toward Jerusalem. He's coming to the last couple of weeks before he will suffer and die. And as he's making that journey, he is preparing his disciples to follow the Lord. He is preparing his disciples to follow him 
particularly after he is gone from them. And so as he prepares them for that day when he will no longer be with them, he prepares them by teaching them what it is to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, what it is to be a disciple of Christ. What does it look like to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so when we come to this passage before us, this is a simple parable, parable that is told of the persistent widow or of the unrighteous judge. But really this parable speaks more of the persistent widow than it does of the unrighteous judge. For as we uh, look at our text this morning, I want us first of all to see in verse 1 the purpose for why Luke writes this parable. When you look at this parable in Luke chapter 18, it is the only parable in all of the Gospels. There is no other parallel to it. But when you go back to Luke chapter 11, we looked at this um, a while ago, but there in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8, we saw there a companion parable to the parable of the persistent widow. There in Luke chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus tells this parable as he's teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey to come and I have nothing set before him. And he from within will answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, my children are in bed, I cannot arise and give thee. And I say unto you, though he will not arise and give to him because he's a friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needed. And then Jesus says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. So here the parable, uh, uh, companion parable tells us that Jesus here in teaching his disciples how to pray gives them this short parable of this man who gives to his friend need. And here... Jesus in this text is speaking and he is not calling his disciples to prayer as he did in chapter 11. He gives them the model prayer in chapter 11, Our Father who art in heaven. But here he's not teaching them how to pray. Jesus understands in chapter 18 that they know how to pray. Jesus understands that as his disciples, they do pray. But what he's teaching them is this particular kind of prayer that is found in verse 1. In context, Luke chapter 18 continues from chapter 17, verses 22 through 37. Jesus speaks of the coming kingdom of God. He speaks of the day of judgment for Israel. He speaks of that glorious day, which is a picture of the final day that will come. 
And then he comes to this passage and says that he spoke this parable unto them to this end, to this purpose. Men ought always to pray and not faint. As he comes to the end of his earthly journey, as he is not going to be with his disciples much longer, he urges them to pray and not faint because he knows they will be driven to desperation as they endure the assaults and the opposition of the world. You see that in the book of Acts, in the Acts of the Apostles, as they take the gospel to the ends of the earth, that they are assaulted, that they are opposed. And there's a sense in which they could become in a desperate situation. They might even become weary. They have seen a picture of the opposition and the assaults that Jesus encountered with the Pharisees and scribes. And so to encourage them in their ministry and in their labor, Jesus calls them to pray and not faint. So he's not teaching them how to pray. He's teaching them how to pray persistently, to pray earnestly, to pray continually. This prayer is a persistent and pleading prayer, which Jesus calls his disciples to. Luke throughout his gospel, emphasizes the importance of prayer. It seems like every time Jesus began some pertinent point in his ministry, he prayed. Luke 11, as we saw, teaches them how to pray. But here he teaches them how to pray fervently and persistently. The temptation for them, and it's a temptation for us, is to give up and not pray. When we find ourselves weary of praying, when we find ourselves weary from the battle, there is that temptation to give up, to become exhausted. And Jesus calls them to pray and not be faint. Paul says in Galatians that, let us not be weary In well-doing, for in due season we will faint not. And so there Paul encourages us to continue, to continue well and not faint. And so here Jesus tells them that they are to pray and not faint. Prayer is one of the most neglected duties of religion. Many professing creatures... Christians will not neglect public worship. Perhaps they will not neglect the Lord's Supper. But certainly they will neglect prayer. And I think for all of us, we could speak of the fact that that is indeed the most neglected duty, even in our own lives. But Jesus says they will have difficulty, but in persistently praying and Persisting in that prayer, they are not to lose heart. And so Jesus gives them encouragement as he continues to teach them through this parable. And so the question as we begin this morning is, in your life of prayer, is there a persistency? 
Is there a praying with that urgency and not being faint? Because here Jesus gives us many wonderful lessons on why we should pray and not faint. And so we see the purpose of this parable. But secondly, we see the situation that God's people face often in life. There in verses 2 through 5, Jesus in this parable describes two players, two characters, a widow and an unjust and cruel judge. Isn't it ironic that Jesus would use an unjust and cruel judge in his parable? It was no different then than it is now. But as you look at the situation of the Jewish culture, a woman was to be married, particularly at 15. Mary was married at 15. So a woman in Jewish culture married very young. Shows she had her husband. And if her husband died, her brother was to care for her, to help her. There in the letters of Timothy, the church is called to help those widows who are widows indeed. And so in a Jewish culture, a woman who was a widow, who had no resources and no one to help her, was a very strange thing. And here in this parable, Jesus says that there was a judge in the city which did not fear God and neither regarded man. And there was also a widow who persistently sought for relief from her adversary. And so, oftentimes women in first century culture were wronged in many ways. And they looked for justice. But here in the passage before us, this woman had no means. She had no husband. She had no brother. She was all alone. And so she does what no woman would have done in first century Jewish culture. She went to the judge and pleaded her case. She had been wronged, and the scripture doesn't tell us how. It just says, she says to the judge, avenge me of my adversary. Most likely it was a case that someone had done injustice to her and she was seeking justice and so verse 3 says she goes to the judge for justice there are no details but she is desperate she is not typical of jewish women in that culture she has no one to help her except this unjust judge and the text says that she comes before him and it doesn't say how often it just says that she came unto him now if she is coming unto him for him to become exhausted by her pleadings she must have been coming daily she didn't waste any time in going to that judge She continually pleaded her case day after day after day. And the scripture tells us in verse 4 that he would not come to her aid. 
that he would not come to her assistance. Now it's important to remember that in Jewish culture that the house of Israel was governed by judges. And those judges, according to God's law, were to not be that they were not to be unjust nor impartial to the poor, but they were to judge rightly. Leviticus 19.15 shows us how the judges in Israel were to judge righteously and judge according to the law of God. And that's a lesson here for us in our day to remember that we need to pray for just judges who will rule rightly, not according to their political whim, but according to the law of God. And it says he would not. In fact, verse 4 says he would not for a while. That while there indicates a long period of time, indicating that there was no relief in sight. He wants to get rid of her. He doesn't want to listen to her. And yet, judges in Israel were to be righteous and were to fear God, according to Deuteronomy 16. But the scripture defines this man as one who did not fear God and did not regard man. And so, it says in verse 4, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Can't you see the picture? What do you want? You're here again? Why do you keep bothering me? No, no, no. And so after a time, even though this may have been a long period of time, in her persistency, she continued to go back to the judge And he finally says, because she troubleth me, I will avenge her. And here's the contrast between the unrighteous judge and the righteous judge of which Jesus describes in this parable. Here's a situation that believers will face in this life. Even though the judge is not acting rightly or showing justice, he simply wants to get her off of his back. He wants to get rid of her. Believers face the same situation in the world. We, like that widow, will face many trials and injustices. But here the widow represents the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in contrast. The widow represents the church who longs for liberation, who longs for that relief, who longs to be vindicated. And here in the text of Scripture, as she comes persistently before this unjust judge, this unjust judge in contrast, we find here in verses 6 through 8, Jesus assures his people that he will intervene. The Lord said to his disciples, notice what he says in verse 6. Hear what the unjust judge saith. Wait a minute, why do you want us to listen to him? 
Notice what the unjust judge saith. This woman troubleth me. I will avenge her, lest by her continual pleading, by her continual crying, by her continual persistence, she will drive me crazy. So I'm going to give in to her. Jesus says, notice what the unjust judge saith. And then he says in verse 7, Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry out day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? In contrast, Jesus says, Hear what this unrighteous judge saith, but notice that the righteous judge of all the earth will avenge his elect. And here's where Jesus assures his people, and here's where Jesus assures his disciples that he will avenge them. He will avenge all of his elect. Hear what the unjust judge says, I will give her righteous and perfect justice. What a great contrast between God and the unjust judge. I will give her justice. God will avenge his own elect. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ will intervene for them. And he will strengthen them. And he will hear their cries and their pleadings. The righteous widow in her persistence, shows us that the church, and the, Lord, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has no other remedy. That the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has no other means to seek justice, to seek those things that we need. And so she shows the pleading, the crying, the coming before the Lord who will indeed hear and intervene for her. Notice verse 7. At the end of verse 7, he says, Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry out day and night unto him? Yes, he will avenge his own elect. Notice, though he bear long with them. And so he assures them that he will avenge them, that he will avenge them in the day of their affliction. But notice, he says, it will not come as quickly as what they think. Here Jesus says, God will avenge them, even though he endures long and suffers long, particularly for those who are afflicting his people. What about the Apostle Paul? Wasn't he afflicting the church before his conversion? And the Lord graciously and wonderfully converted him? And then the one who was the persecutor of the church of God is now turned into one of its apostles, one of its leaders, who now goes and takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so in waiting to show the 
vengeance that they long for. Jesus waits patiently, even for those who avenge his people. And notice the contrast between verse 4 and verse 7. The unrighteous judge for quite a long time ignored her. But the Lord Jesus Christ does not ignore the pleas and the cries of his people. Not only do we see that the unrighteous judge did not listen to her plea, but he finally gave in after a long while just to give himself peace of mind. But here Jesus, even after a long while, does avenge his people. He does hear the prayers and the cries that they offer unto him. And so, this is oftentimes a perplexing thing in verse 7. So, he's really no different than the unrighteous judge. Because he has them wait. But notice verse 8. I tell you that even though he bear long with them, he will avenge them speedily. I think that word speedily is an important word to remember because it entails the fact that he may not come immediately. He may not come when we want him to. He may not come on our timetable, but he will come speedily. And when he comes speedily, he answers. What a wonderful consolation and comfort to saints who struggle with sin, with saints who struggle with temptation, with saints who struggle like these apostles, with opposition that comes from the world. Maybe that opposition comes from those closest to you. And yet Jesus will avenge speedily. He will not delay in coming to his children. Though he bear long with them, he is patient with them. And so here in this intervention of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he comes speedily. He comes to them without delay. Notice at the end of verse 8, as he concludes this parable, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Here Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Title, Son of Man, is a title that Jesus uses in reference to his divinity. He uses that title, Son of Man, 82 times in the four Gospels. So that's significant. Jesus never calls himself the Messiah. Jesus never calls himself by any other title. But here he calls himself the Son of Man. And in using this title, Son of Man, he has in mind three things as he reveals this to his disciples. He is called the Son of Man in his earthly ministry. Secondly, he is called the Son of Man 
because of his suffering and death. And then thirdly, he is called the Son of Man because of his resurrection and ascension. Jesus uses this title, Son of Man, as it's found in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus uses that title before the Jews, before the Pharisees and scribes who knew the Old Testament, or at least they claimed to know the Old Testament. And there in Daniel chapter 7, the text tells us in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him, that is the Son of Man, dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. Here in this Old Testament prophecy, the Ancient of Days takes the kingdoms away from the beasts, takes the kingdoms away from the earthly rulers, and gives them to the Son of Man. This is the only place in the Old Testament where it's used to designate the Messiah. And yet it is here that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. He does that for his disciples. But he does that for the Pharisees and scribes so that they would not misidentify who he was. Well, you're the Messiah? Oh, then we expect this. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm the Son of Man. And as the Son of Man, I have come to heal the sick to cast out demons, to raise the dead, to declare the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is among men. I have come to suffer and die, to offer myself as a ransom for many. I've come to be raised from the dead, to ascend to my Father, to give life to my people, and to rule and reign on their behalf. And so as the Son of God, as the Son of Man, Jesus asked that question. Shall he, that is Christ, find faith on the earth? Now what faith is he talking about? Some would suppose that the faith he's talking about is a saving faith. That there will be few Christians. And yet I... Draw your attention to the book of Revelation. And what does John have a picture of? A large number of people gathered from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. But here the reference to the Son of Man finding faith on the earth is that persistent life of prayer. That faith that calls them to persevere under trial. That faith that calls his saints to persevere in all of their afflictions. And so Jesus reminds them that when he comes, 
there may be little faith in regards to his children, because like those saints in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, who are pictured as martyrs under the altar of God, crying out to God day and night, Lord, how long? Lord, how long? Lord, how long? And isn't that what the psalmist says? How long, O Lord, how long? And so in their struggle and in their warfare against sin and against the world and the flesh and the evil one, there's a tendency for them to become weary, like us, to become lax. And so Jesus is asking his disciples. He's not asking the world. He's asking his disciples, shall this son of man who has come Give himself as a ransom for many. Will he find faith on the earth? What did Jesus say earlier? When he was teaching his disciples in chapter 17. When he talks about the need for forgiveness, repentance. His disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. In order for us to pray persistently, in order for us to pray more persistently and more fervently, we need to ask God to give us faith that we might believe that he will hear us, that he will answer us, that he will not turn us away. Prayer is a great encouragement for the believer. We, like those saints I mentioned in Revelation chapter 6, may cry how long, but God hears us. We are always to redress our grievances to our Savior, and He will respond. You may be going through a trial, and you've exaggerated, exhausted every legal means you've exhausted attorneys you've exhausted every resource and guess what there's no end in sight but we have a God in heaven who we can redress our grievances to whom we can bring our petitions to and he will not turn us away we have an advocate one who hears our pleadings. He is ready to hear us. Our prayers and signs may be weak. Our prayers might be very weak, but our prayers are always powerful in the hand of our great high priest and elder brother. Oh, saints of God, you may think, oh, I'm praying again and again and again and again. And I just don't feel like praying. Well, that's when our weak prayers are powerful in the hands of our Redeemer. Who poured out his life for us. Not only do we have encouragement because we have an advocate. We have the encouragement of the Holy Spirit who helps us. 
Notice there in Romans chapter 8, as Paul comes to the end of his theological dissertation in that wonderful book of Romans, he says there in chapter 8, in verse 23, as he speaks about the sufferings of this life and the eagerness of the sons of God to be delivered from this life. And he says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we, knew not, for we know not what we should pray, for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. Some here have mistranslated, erroneously I should say, this verse teaches that When you have the Spirit, you have a private prayer language that you can use to pray. But that is not what Paul is talking about here. He talks about the fact that the Spirit gives us the thoughts. He gives us the words that the Spirit can interpret our prayers when they are weak. And when we think they don't make sense, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. But notice in the context, Jesus, or Paul states, the expectation, verse 19, of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the son, sons of God. And then he says, the whole creation, verse 22, groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And then verse 24, we are saved by hope. But hope that is not seen, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? And if we hope for what we see not, then do we have patience, wait for it. And so here the Apostle Paul shows us that in our groanings, in those times when we feel the weight of the world and we We want to be delivered from this life. We want to be delivered from this body of death. Paul says it is the Spirit that maketh intercession for us. Not only is the Lord Jesus Christ an advocate, but here he speaks of the Holy Spirit as our advocate. The one who is able to give us the words and the thoughts to pray when we cannot pray. We also have the promises of God. We saw that there in Luke chapter 11. We see it in Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Matthew chapter 21 verse 22. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for. In prayer, all of the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. One final encouragement. We have the examples of Jesus' prayers. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12. John 17, we don't have time to go through it. Shows us how Jesus fully human and yet fully divine praise to the Father 
What an encouragement to us as saints of God. J.C. Ryle says, Diligence in prayer is the secret of imminent holiness. The more holy a saint becomes, the more persistent, the more diligent he is in prayer. There are not degrees of salvation. There are not degrees of justification. But there are degrees of sanctification and holiness. Some are here in their holiness and sanctification. And some may be here. But he says that that diligent life of prayer is the secret of an eminent holiness. And it also indicates that he has a strong faith even though he is weak and desperate. He has a strong faith in a gracious Savior who will avenge him, who will answer his prayers. Saints of God, what a great encouragement for us that the Lord Jesus Christ now sits at the right hand of the Father waiting to hear our prayers waiting for us to redress all of our grievances to Him. You know what? Even those grievances that come from brothers and sisters or come from those closest to us or those grievances that we don't know any other solution, we are to address to our Savior. God will bear patiently with us And he will one day deliver us from this body of death. O saints of God, let us draw fresh encouragement this morning. As we find this Savior who calls us to pray earnestly. Who calls us to pray persistently. Who like that widow keeps knocking, 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 knocking. Seeking God. We do not pray presumptuously. Presumptuously, we do not pray with the arrogance of a child who demands his way, but we come boldly before the throne of grace because there our Savior who died for us receives us and answers our prayers. So whatever things you are struggling with this day, remember that the Lord Jesus Christ who is our elder brother, hears us and will answer us in the day when he calls. Perhaps you don't know this Savior. Perhaps you don't know this Redeemer. But I would plead with you today that you would call upon him, that you would seek him while he may be found, that you would call upon him while he may be near. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give thee thanks this morning for the encouragement that we have to pray persistently and not faint. We confess, Lord, that our prayer life is not what it should be, that oftentimes we don't pray, and we don't pray earnestly and persistently. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would give us faith, that we might pray persistently, trusting in you for all that we need. For you are a gracious Savior who never turns us away. We pray that we might go forth with new resolve 
new encouragement to pray persistently and not faint. Bless this word to our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us conclude this morning with Psalm 143c.